0: This is your final places call.
1: Places, Half to half. Go. Orchestra, stand by. Go.
2: Hey guys, this is Gabrielle Ruiz.
3: Rick
1: Negaron.
2: And Harada. Karen Mason. Constantine Morales. JLA Marcos. And you're listening to Bite Size.
3: Bite Size. Size Broadway. Brought to you by Indie Works Theatre Company. Bite Size. coming back
4: size,
1: get your day started right with an opening night now all with the the show
3: hi there my name is Jonathan Lynch, and you're listening to bite size Broadway, a mini-musical podcast brought to you by IndieWorks Theatre Company and Judith Manicherry. This is your source for discovering original short-form musicals that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. Today's mini-musical episode is Toy Box, book and lyrics by Teresa Lotz, music by Will Buck, and don't forget to stay tuned after the show for a talk back with Teresa and Will. And now, gather around with your family and snuggle up with your favorite toy because this week we're offering a simple story for kids from 1 to 92. Enjoy this holiday presentation of Toy Box.
4: Tucked away in a tiny corner of a stuffy attic, sat an old pine wood toy box. Its paint chipped, its wood scratched, its hinges weak and frail. The time-stained box, which now belonged to the boy, had been passed down from generations of boys who had come before and had once overflowed with gifts of Christmases and birthdays past. But just like the paint on the outside of the box, memories faded as time passed. Now, in this dark and mostly empty box, a toy-skin horse leaned against the wooden wall, its hay-stuffed hide splitting at the seams and pacing From one side of the box to the other, a battery-operated toy tank makes his rounds, rolling over dusty board games with missing pieces and yo-yos with broken strings. His stickers and buttons faded and worn. He remains alert and ready for action, waiting with hope and the little battery he has left for the boy to come play with him once again.
5: Stand guard. Ouch, that hurt. Get on the ground. Down, down. Can now, now, a horse get some sleep? Who are you?
2: I'm Velveteen.
5: Why are you yelling? You come to fight.
2: Uh, please stop yelling.
5: Are you with us or against us, when soldier? Both of you, quit yelling. Uh, I'm not yelling. Horse, stay out of this. Tank, he's obviously scared. Leave him alone. Uh. I'm not scared. You should be scared. This is a dangerous world. Mm. Did you see the boy out there? The, the boy? Did you see him?
2: The lady just put me in here.
5: His mother? Did she look sad? Was she hurt?
2: Well, I didn't see anything. All I know is that one lady said I was for the boy, and she the... gave me to another lady who just put me in here, okay? And I haven't seen any boy. Mm. Will you put those things down?
5: My cannons? No. We must always be ready. If you are an enemy, I need to be prepared. Does he look like an enemy? He's just a little rat.
2: I'm not little, and I'm not an enemy. I'm here for the boy. So where's the boy?
5: I'm Tank. I'm the leader of the army. We protect the boy. Oh, jeez. Protect him from what? The enemies come in disguise, they sneak through the cracks in the walls, and the space beneath the door, they sneak under the bed from beneath the floor. Some may look like little things, some may look like other toys, some may look like rains and storms, some like girls or little boys! enemies are the kids on the playground. They push the boy, skinning his knees and making him sad. They're the cough and the sneeze and the achy throat and his mom and dad, but only when they're mad. We're here to defend. We are loyal to the end. We are the bravest of brave and we fight and yes, we save. We are the boyhood army. We help and protect the boy. So
2: I'm here to be in an army? <gasps> Maybe that's what she meant when she said I was for the boy.
5: Take your army somewhere else. A horse has got to sleep. You got to mind, horse. He's got a bum leg. He was discharged from the army years ago. So it's just you and me, Velveteen. You and me against the world of enemies. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're here to defend. We're we are loyal to, to the end. We're we are the bravest of brave. And we fight, end. and yes, we save. We are the boy army. We help and protect the, the boy. boy. We are the, the boy army. Cannons up! Prepare for battle! I'll be doing my rounds.
2: Okay. Dum 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 da dum. Da da dum de dum
0: de dum.
2: I'm sorry to hear about your bum leg. Mm. How long have you been out of the army?
5: You sure ask a lot of questions.
2: Is that a bad thing?
5: Put your arms up! we got to make sure you're physically ready for battle! (gasps) (laughs) Let me feel these ears.
2: Well, I can hear the enemies come from afar!
5: Ah, yes. But... Oh, no!
2: What is it? You're stuffed!
0: Stuffed? Filled with cotton.
5: Don't you know? Plushy! Not rock hard, like me! (laughs) I'm a war tank. A machine. I'M STRONG!
2: Well, I'm strong, too. Sorta.
5: Ah, you must have been a gift for the boy's sister. He likes tough toys, like me. I'm his favorite toy. I move, I have big cannons, and I beep when I back up. Listen. Beep! 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 Can you do that? Uh... I'll take that as a no. BAM! (gasps) BAM! BAM! (gasps) Can you do that?
2: I'm impressed. But I can't really do that.
5: (laughs) Well, at least you can hop. Hop? It's not so hard to understand, soldier. Hop! You know, bounce up and down on your hind legs. That's what real rabbits do. case you haven't noticed, he's not a real rabbit. I'd... I'd break the stitches. You're a rabbit, but you don't hop? That's absurd. He's a toy, like us. Well, if he can't hop, how is he going to be in the boyhood army?
4: What about...
0: Tank,
5: just cool it for two minutes, will you?
4: Mm. Mm. Hop.
5: Hop. He came to join the army. <sighs> he has to learn how to hop. Mm.
2: What makes a rabbit a rabbit? Is it ears that reach to the sky? Or a nose that wiggles with whiskers? Or being able to hop real high? I could take a class It could teach me how Or I'll practice hopping till I can right
4: now
5: How are you going to fight if you can't shoot cannons or beep? You have to do something
2: What makes a rabbit a rabbit? Is it protecting the boy from harm? Or being easy to hug and play with Or easy to fit in his arms I could find a book with pictures and a guide And maybe then that book will have the way inside
4: The
0: only reason you can beep is because of your batteries, Tank When they're gone... You won't think you're so talented.
2: Or maybe if I squat real low and then come up, I'll accidentally catch some air. Or maybe if I fall off a really tall cliff, when I land, I'll bounce like this. Aha! There! Ow!
0: Oh. <sighs> oh.
2: I gonna fight if I just fall on my face?
0: Hey, kid. Don't blow your wig over this.
2: But it's what real rabbits do. What makes a horse a horse? Is it
0: a gallop that's distinctly his? Or a mane that flies in the wind? Or is it more about who he is? You don't need fancy powers, you don't need to hop, you don't have to do anything but love and never stop loving.
5: Sushy stuff doesn't matter. Real rabbits hop. Real rabbits can fight in the boyhood army. That's not what real is.
2: You guys keep saying stuff like that. Real rabbits and real armies. Well, are you real, Tank?
5: (laughs) Horse? (laughs) Does he look real? Listen, real is not something
0: you are. It's something you become.
5: So,
2: how do you become real?
0: You become real when a child loves you. Truly loves you.
2: Well, does it hurt to become real?
0: Uh, A little.
2: Is that how you hurt your leg? By becoming real?
5: Quit this sissy talk!
0: Tink, you just don't get it. Some toys can move, beep, or light up. Some toys are lifelike, some not And those toys may seem like they're his favorites But can they be brought to life? Maybe your haunches are broken Maybe your fur looks so fake But to him none of those things should matter at all Because Because When you are real, you get cold, you might lose a stitch, you break, and you can feel the pain, and you might cry, the tears might fall, but when you're real, you can see, you can smell the dust, you feel his arms so close, and you are loved,
5: you are loved. But the boy never loved you. You sat alone on his shelf.
0: I belonged to the boy's uncle, Tank. I was his uncle's favorite toy. Some days we'd act like we're cowboys. He'd sit on top of my back and he'd sing to his enemies. We'd charge forth and we'd never lose a fight. Some days he'd come home from grade school I'd be the first thing he'd see He would kiss my nose and pat the top of my head Hello And I knew I was real I would nozzle his hand And he would say I love you more than I did yesterday And then we'd play and I was real, I could see, I could smell the dirt that smeared across his knees. And I was loved. I was loved. Then past the days of knobby knees, of soggy shoes, of apple juice. I never lost trust, although my heart was aching sat alone collecting dust breaking he grew up and moved away and I was left alone to stay I was still real. When you are real, you can see, you can smell the dust. And even when he's gone, you know you're loved. You are loved. ...are still loved. You are
4: loved.
0: Boys grow old. They move away. It's part of being a toy.
2: Oh. So, is that why we're in this box now? Because the boy grew up and moved
5: away? Ah. Oh, no. No! No, of course not! He's coming back soon! Don't worry, soldier!
0: Maybe. They... They don't always come back. The boy's uncle
5: He hasn't grown up yet! He's still young. He still needs us to protect him. Cannons up! The battle is drawing near! <laughs> oh. <laughs> My my, my oh. cannons, my, my, my cannons! Oh no! I, I can't p- p- put up my mm-hmm. c- cannons. <gasps> Your batteries! No, 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 they're not gone. I'm just t- 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 tired. It's been a long day, a long day of draining, t- 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 and I'm I'm just. T- t- Tired
0: batteries die.
2: What do you do when you can't beep anymore? <laughs> when your outsides won't keep anymore? No, when your body is broken. Not broken. When your life is nothing but doubt, what do you do when your batteries
5: run out? The boy always replaces my batteries when I need
0: them. What are you without your cannons, Tank? <sighs> what are you without your beep? <sighs> you can't fight fights forever. That's not what life's about. What do you do when your batteries run
5: out? Uh, he's coming back! to fix me he always does he always has
0: he can't always come back to fix you take he can't play
5: with you forever at least he plays with me at all he cares about me he loves me what did you do, horse alone on a shelf what did you do with just your memories by yourself? Were you simply telling yourself that you're loved? Is that horsey's way to get through each day. What did you do when he ignored what he's got in you? What do you do when he's all but forgotten you? When he just doesn't care? What do you do when it's like you're not? We're both
0: in the toy box now Does any of that matter anymore? You're losing your powers, <laughs> mine were already gone It's just the three of us here And we're left alone to move on What do you do?
2: There's no enemies to attack. What do you do now? Since the boy's not coming back. He's coming back. He's, He's not, not coming, coming back. back.
5: It's not true, baby. See, I can
2: still
0: be He's gone, Tink. He grew up. It's just us now. Tank? His batteries are dead.
2: Tank? Tank! He's gone. No! He can't be gone! It's just us now. No, horse. You and I don't have batteries, and we're not gone. We don't die with our batteries. But Tank's
0: batteries are all he's
4: got.
2: That can't be true. Tank, you have to get up. You can still play with us without your batteries. Get up.
4: It's
0: no use, Velveteen. He's gone. Can't you see that?
2: Dum-dum-dum-da-dum. Dum-de-dum-de-dum-de-dum.
0: Velveteen tanks nothing without his batteries. There's no army. There's no boy. It's just us.
2: We've been abandoned. Okay? We are here to defend. We are loyal to the end. We're soldiers. We don't give up when our batteries die. We're the bravest of brave. And we fight. We don't give up when the boy leaves. Come on, horse. Help me. Oh. We are the boyhood army. We help and protect the boy. We are the boyhood army. We help and protect... <laughs>
5: TANK! TANK! You're not gone! He's okay! You're okay!
2: (laughs) Oh, Tank, you're here! We can still be an army! And it'll be awesome!
5: But my batteries...
2: You don't have batteries, Horse has a bum leg, and I can't hop! So what? We'll be the greatest army there ever was!
5: Yes. Yes. But what are we fighting for? What's the point? The boy's not here. The boy's in here, in our hearts. But what are we protecting?
2: Each other. We're protecting each other. We can still have an army.
5: You're right!
2: Come on, soldiers. Yes, sir! Sir. The enemies may never come But if they did, we'd be prepared Tank, you may not be able to shoot them But together, together, We're together, together
0: We're here to defend We are loyal to the end We are the bravest of brave.
2: brave And we, we fight, and fight and yes, we, we save We are the toy Army We help and protect the toys We are the toy Army we
5: the greatest Army We're the Toywood Army We fight and protect the toys We help and protect
2: the toys
4: And they all live Happily ever after. Fire Adam.
3: That was Toy Box. Book and lyrics by Teresa Lotz and music by Will Buck, starring Kennedy Kanagawa as Velveteen, Tom Sesma as Tank, Joseph Cannon as Horse, and Alan H. Green as the storyteller. Toy Box is based on the Velveteen Rabbit or How Toys Become Real by Marjorie Williams and was recorded remotely from New York City. With direction by Christopher Michaels, music direction by Jonathan Lynch, orchestrations and sound design by Andrew Fox, and mixing and mastering by Jay Rosen. Featuring violin by Allie Jenkins, French horn by Dakota Corbliss, trumpet by Pierce Yamaoka, trombone by Kenneth Johnson, and tuba by Pete Charles Isaac. This episode is dedicated in loving memory to Tom Gavin, longtime IndieWorks producer, advisor, supporter, and friend. He was greatly loved and will be greatly missed. We'll be right back after this brief intermission for a talk back with Teresa and Will to discuss the graduate musical theater writing program, adopting a stage musical for radio format, and the age old question which comes first, music or lyrics? Stick around, all this and more coming up.
1: Give the gift of new music this holiday season with Marie Weary's debut album. Just keep singing featuring Matt Sangiovanni on guitar with eight brand new songs written and recorded during the 2020 quarantine. Oh, when it's rain, its charm. Listen today on Spotify or visit www.mariawearies.com
2: Hey there. Enjoying the show so far? Want even more out of your bite-sized Broadway experience? Get full-color digital playbills, early singles and episodes, and exclusive backstage access to other exciting rewards and extras by becoming a Patreon subscriber. For as little as $3 a month, you can unlock perks you just won't find anywhere else. We're giving you a peek behind the curtain to see just what goes into making a mini-musical podcast, plus a chance to speak directly to the artists and monthly AMAs. Oh, looks like Act 2 is about to start. Visit patreon.com slash bite broadway to find out how you can become a subscriber today.
3: Sorry. Enjoy the rest of the show. Ah. Welcome back. Grab a cup of cocoa and get cozy around the fireplace as executive producer and Toybox director Christopher Michaels sits down for a talk back with Teresa and Will, the writers of Toybox.
1: Hey there, listeners. My name is Christopher Michaels, and I am the executive producer and creative director for Bite-Sized Broadway. And I am here stepping in for Jonathan for this discussion because I think this might very well be the favorite show of mine for the mm. season. And I actually wrote one of the shows in this season, so that's saying a lot, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I am here with Will Buck and Teresa Lotz, and they are the writers of Toybox. Thank you for, for joining us for this discussion today. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you for having us.
6: Yeah. Yeah, we're super excited to be here.
1: So uh, so I guess we're just going to kind of jump on in. We've got a lot to get through today. So I'll just start with kind of a basic question. How did you two kind of meet up and start working together?
6: So we uh, met at GMTWP, or the Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program, at New York University. And this was actually our 20-minute, one-act assignment.
7: You know, for those who aren't familiar with the way that... Uh graduate program works, the first year is basically speed dating, where the collaborators are paired up semi-randomly on a bunch of different prompts, and this as Teresa said, was our end-of-year project, so it was very serendipitous that it all managed to work out the way that it did.
1: Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, the graduate musical theater program at um, musical theater writing program at NYU?
7: Well, it's a, it's a degree. It's a BFA. uh, So it's a lot more MFA. Sorry.
6: Yeah.
7: Uh, (laughs) um, Yes. It's an MFA. So it's very intense because you're presenting something every week as opposed to BMI where you'll present maybe twice a month. And in between it's, classes on musical theater history, playwriting classes, uh, composition exercises. It's very hands-on and very intensive um, in a way that BMI isn't quite so much. And it's basically your entire life for those two years,
6: at least in my experience. It's also because it's a master's program and it's at NYU, it is very expensive. Uh, So you have to either If you have a rich family, that's great. Or like me, you take out a bunch of loans and then owe your life to the government forever.
7: (laughs) (laughs) The harsh realities, right? yeah. Yeah,
6: yeah. The way that I've been told, BMI is very traditional musical theater. And Will, you probably can speak to this more than I can. My understanding is that NYU leaves a little bit more room for experimentation than BMI does. And for me as a writer, um, I'm much more interested in experimenting with the form. I think that if I were at BMI, I might feel a little bit more like suffocated by, you have to stick in the form, perfect rhyme all the time, which <laughs> I'm going to get reamed for saying this. But <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I personally like stretching more than I think BMI might want me to.
7: I would agree with that assessment. I feel like a lot of... BMI's sort of goal is toward uh, producibility and things with commercial appeal. I think a lot of the feedback revolves around like what connects to an audience, what people find relatable, what people find palatable. And I make it sound like it's very mercenary, which it's, I, which is not my intention, although, you know, the business is mercenary. But certainly at NYU, I feel like there is a lot more, I hesitate to say avant-garde, but kind of avant-garde stuff happening in terms of the projects. I remember one of the thesis projects was uh, like a psychological horror about a man chained in the basement of a bakery with blood rituals and dark, gruesome, but like really fascinating stuff.
6: Like my thesis was, I mean, I want to say not producible, but it was definitely not Broadway material. It was um, a show about a man that was slowly turning into a toucan. Jesse Goldman was the composer on the project. The music, like, parts of it were atonal, parts of it were, like, electronic, but not in, like, the K-pop way. Not in a more, like, palatable, I wouldn't say K-pop. Well, no, K-pop's actually pretty commercial. Mm. But, like, not in a more, like, pop commercial way, but, like, in a absurdist way. <laughs> so, like, we were writing, like, more absurdist, atonal, like, avant-garde work. At NYU, and I feel like that just probably would not have flown at BMI. I think BMI might be a good step career wise and networking wise, but, and it's a free step career wise and networking
1: wise. Now, Will, because you've had experience in both programs, do you feel like um, maybe at least you've got a more well-rounded view, uh, you know, of, of how you want to approach your writing and the things that you want to write about? Oh, gosh.
7: I mean, I think so much of that comes down to my collaborators and the the people that I meet. And, you know, it's funny that uh, Teresa was talking about the networking because that was just a huge, huge draw for me with both... NYU and BMI. (laughs) I hope I'm not pinning with too broad a rush when I say that a lot of us artist types are not the most outgoing people. (laughs) Uh, So it was wonderful to have a structure where I could meet these like-minded people and uh, find people whose strengths complement mine. Also people who write stuff that is completely different from what I would normally even think of and be able to incorporate that into my own toolbox in some way, shape, or form. And in terms of the programs themselves, yeah, I think it is. it comes down to people and getting as many opinions as you can and taking what is useful for you and uh, uh, not necessarily discarding what isn't, but finding your own way of <laughs> managing it.
1: So you met in uh, at the NYU Graduate Musical Theatre Writing Program, and when did Toybox come about and how did it come about?
7: It, it was at the end of that first year. That, that would have been 2012, I want to say. I don't remember how long we actually had to write it it didn't feel like very long maybe a couple months and then a real whirlwind just like a weekend worth of rehearsal and then we kind of put it away for a while we did record demos so it's really wonderful to have uh, this first actual <laughs> production of
6: some kind. I felt like the horse just sitting on a shelf forever. Like the, <laughs> the show was the horse. <laughs> yeah. Since graduating, I have mostly been writing music. I kind of i I went to school for book and lyrics. That's what I was doing at the program. But then after graduating, I really kind of stopped doing that. And so this gave me an opportunity to kind of revisit my like, book and lyric writing. And reading it, I was like, oh, I can do so much better with these things. So I, I actually went through and like made some revisions and feel even better about it now than I did, which was kind of a um, nice build to my confidence about book and lyric writing because <laughs> I haven't in so long.
1: How is it different redeveloping the show for an audio format rather than its intended purpose, which was a live production?
6: As a writer, I actually try to uh, write as few stage directions as possible and just depend on the director to do as much of that as possible. And I think I had to change my thinking a little bit knowing that the director was going to be limited in what they were going to be able to do visually. And so, I mean, I was really grateful because uh, I had you available (laughs) to work with during this rewrite, and you were able to be like, you know, you're not going to be able to to see this, so you might have to write that. (laughs) I mean, that was the main thing, just knowing that we were lacking the visuals. Mm -hmm. And so all of the visuals had to be incorporated actually into the script.
1: I think one of our biggest challenges from the indie work side of things is that um, we had to work with a lot of different kinds of writers on a lot of different kinds of shows. And we take these shows that were never intended to be, you know, radio plays and then sit there and go through with a fine tooth comb. And even um, on the day of, you know, recording, we were like, wait a second, we've got to work out this moment, you know, so... Um, I, I actually find it really interesting. So we asked you ahead of time about the themes for this show. And surprisingly, your answers were very different. Teresa, yours were more on this positive side of like faith and belief in a higher power and loss of innocence, right? Um, and Will, uh, you on the other hand, yours were more like towards the negative, right? Regret loss, yearning for the unattainable, soldiering on in the face of disappointment and defeat. And I think that's super interesting. How do you think that coming at this show from two such different angles helped to create this really wonderful story?
6: I think that when we were writing this show, it was actually a very challenging time in like both of our lives. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm not going to go into details, but just grad school was probably emotionally one of the most difficult times for me personally there was so much stress on us like what am I doing here I am trying to go after the thing I've always wanted to do am I going to fail I wish I was a kid again there there was like a yearning for being a child and knowing that the thing that you were dreaming for your whole life could possibly never happen and wanting to have faith that things were going to work out and doubting that they might. So I think that might be part of it, emotionally.
7: I mean, I do feel like a, a lot of sort of my approach to writing music and using music dramatically is that I feel like that ache is where it comes from. Even moments of joy, I feel like it comes from almost a a relief knowing that it could have been otherwise. And I think one of the things that really struck me coming back to this show was that ending. All three of these characters come into the story with this want that revolves around this absent boy. And uh, that doesn't get fulfilled. It doesn't even really get closure except for the closure that they give themselves. But the uh, sort of strength of character that they find within themselves to soldier on and find new meaning from each other resonated with me coming back to the show even more than it did when we first wrote it.
6: And I think right now, the idea of faith, that was something that then and now really resonates with me. Not necessarily faith on a religious level, but just feeling like it means a waiting for Godot metaphor basically. You're you're sitting there waiting for the higher power to come save you, waiting for the boy. Like come come pick us up. Come make everything okay. But then you have to make yourself okay. And I think this year is <laughs> it's very easy to be like, why have you abandoned me? <laughs> but it's like, you know what? Nothing might show up and help everything and make everything okay, but you can do that internally. And you have the people around you, and you have the support around you, and the love of your friends and your chosen family. And, like, that's what you have. And so you have to make the best of that.
1: Let's talk about real. Let's, can we get real for a moment? <laughs> Let's talk oh about <laughs> it. I, I knew it was going to happen at some point, right?
6: <laughs> that was good. <laughs> yeah, thank
1: you. Thank you. I think that this is arguably the best song in the show and maybe for me at least um one of the one of the best of the entire season i I think the pictures that you paint with the words and the music are so vividly clear like you said teresa it brings me back to this place of wanting to be a child again and experiencing um you know that that magic of like playtime and make believe and and all that and it it almost actually reminds me of how i felt watching the act two opener of matilda Um, where they sing when I grow up and they're swinging on the swings, you know, it's just like, I cry during that number every time I see the show, because it's just like, we all just want to swing on swings. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care how old you are. You want to swing on the swings. All right. (laughs) You know? So, um, so I guess, you know, my question now is how is it for you writing this song? Um, you know, being adults and kind of looking back on, on horse's time playing with his kid.
6: I think, uh, real is probably one of my favorite songs I've ever written to this day. And my, um, my parents, every single time I talk about anything I've written, they will say, Oh, I love that song. Real. When, when are you guys going to do anything with that show? It was such a wonderful show. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) every single time they are obsessed with this show and cannot wait for this, by the way, (laughs) it's uh, in my top three. Easy. Um, I just think Will's music is so beautiful. I think we did this music first, didn't we?
7: Yeah, I think it was mostly music first. Definitely, I mean, I remember coming up with the refrain and living around this sort of mid-upper tessitura and feeling like that just summed up this this yearning, this sort of reaching for a thing that's not
6: there anymore. I mean, for me, I mean, I, I feel very good about the lyrics, but I really do think that the the music is what brought the lyrics out. In undergraduate, I was a composer and I've always kind of thought of myself as a composer first. And so for me, having this song be music first and having Will write the music, it made me feel a lot more comfortable writing emotional lyrics and just kind of going to a place that felt more in my heart to actually write lyrics that felt natural. And so, um, and the music is just so so gorgeous. It's honestly one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard.
2: And so I agree. Gosh. I agree. <laughs> oh,
6: you're
7: making me blush.
6: I know. It's. I mean, it's true. And so, and there was definitely um, uh, quite a few rounds of revisions and stuff. But know, it. But the,
7: core, but the core idea was always. There from the outset, you know, I feel like we really keyed into that, so that really, you know, set the tone for the rest of the piece.
1: Let me ask you: when it comes to collaboration with you know other collaborators that you have, how do you prefer to work? Is it usually music first? Is it lyrics first? Uh, I find that I'm I'm pretty flexible. Uh, I mean, a lot of it depends on just like who has the stronger
7: idea, a clearer vision for what the moment is and how to progress. Um, certainly, when I'm working with. Period stuff or fantasy stuff. I find it a lot easier to like find a specific sound world and experiment in that, and that will lead me to tentpoles that I can give to a lyricist and say, you know, what do you make of this? Um, but I'm also just as happy working the other way around of taking a lyric and uh, and setting it either faithfully or with liberty and depending on my relationship with the collaborator and uh, for me there's not a lot of sitting in the room i get cabin fever too quickly but definitely lots of lots of emailing back and forth
6: Yeah, I think for me as a lyricist, I did really enjoy music first. Again, lyrics came to me more easily because before grad school, I would just write my own lyrics. And so I would almost always do music first. I would come up with a melody and then the lyric would come to me. But in grad school, we are oftentimes encouraged to write lyric first. And then I kind of did like a hybrid where I would write a couple of lines, give it to the composer. The composer would do that. And then I'd be like, oh, okay, so this is how it's supposed to be. And then I'd fall into it. I feel like I struggle with lyric writing and I just don't feel very confident with it still. So the more help I get from the composer, the better. Um, and I tend to be very like loose about my lyrics. I'll be like, yeah, if you think of something better, go ahead. You can change it. I don't care. <laughs> um, which is actually good because I think, especially if I'm working with a composer lyricist, that's fine. Okay. With me like being kind of up in their musical grill, that works great. Give <laughs> be like, how about putting this chord here? Um, and every once in a while I have worked with composers that are pretty open and that tends to be a really fruitful collaboration. Um, but most of my collaborations now, long-term ones are, I'm, I'm the composer and I'm working with either a book writer lyricist or I'm co-writing book. And with those almost always it's lyric first. Um, And that works really well for me. I like that. Or I'll come up with like a groove and send it to the lyricist and the lyricist will work from that. That also works pretty well.
1: You just mentioned that you also write uh, music. And of course, on this project, you wrote book and lyrics. So you do all three. But if you had to pick just one, what would be your number one thing? music. And why is that?
6: Since I was little, that was kind of the thing I always, always gravitated towards.
1: How about you, Will? Do you um, do you ever write your own lyrics for your pieces? I do. I was going to, uh, you
7: know, sort of go off with what, what Teresa was saying about having written her own music and lyrics, you know, before at NYU, because that was also the situation that I was in. But, you know, I was always much less confident in my lyrics than in in my music. But that's a completely different writing process, at least for me, because when I'm writing my own lyrics, I let music lead, but I wouldn't say that it's necessarily music first. And there's just like a certain degree of flexibility. I'm absolutely sure collaboration can do, but it's (laughs) much more complicated much more difficult to pull off oh
6: yeah i'm just gonna mess add a couple extra syllables (laughs) there's so many composers i would work with that'd be like no (laughs) and i'm like well i'm writing it myself so yeah
1: (laughs) right exactly Now, Will, we've talked before about your music, and I told you that specifically this show, I kind of liken the style uh, to Adam Gettle, who listeners might know as the composer of Light in the Piazza and Floyd Collins and Myths and Hymns. Do you have any particular influences when it comes to your writing style? Anybody that has really stuck out to you? Well, um, the Gettle comparison is a very,
7: very high compliment. I'm a huge fan of his work. Um, you know, Piazza came out when I was in high school in my peak emo phase. And I think that, <laughs> I think that really um, rubbed off on me in a big way. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, whenever people ask me what my influences are, the sort of flip answer that I always like to give is that, you know, I grew up watching Disney movies and the PBS broadcast of Into the Woods. So I've got like Mencken and Sondheim and I'm like... Insofar as there is an intersection, that's kind of where I live. Jason Robert Brown, of course. Just a lot of that sort of mid to late 20th century musical theater is just my jam. Uh, Bach and Harnick on the more you know old-fashioned side. Yeah. And, low. Uh, and I also have a real passion for video game soundtracks. That's sort of my guilty pleasure, uh, wow. or not even so guilty, because there's some really terrific stuff. Uh, anime series, uh, Studio Ghibli films, there's this romanticism in a lot of that music, this sort of hard on your sleeve melodiousness that has always spoken directly to my soul.
1: Well, we're just about out of time, but before we go, um, we think that as a team, you are are such a fantastic pair. And we're really, um, we just, we love this piece so much. Do you have any plans for collaboration in the future? Um, Anything that you've, you know, maybe floated around?
6: You know, we haven't talked about it.
1: No, but now that you say it. Like, I know know that I'm not the only one listening right now who's like, (laughs) yes, give us more. (laughs) All right, so... Something to think about for sure. Thank you. Yeah.
6: uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Teresa will. I can't thank you enough for letting me be a part of the creation of this recording, and for um, you know, for you being part of this uh, inaugural season of Bite Size Broadway. And we really hope that you both will continue to keep writing, um, maybe with each other. Or I just, I'm just, put, you know, I feel like a matchmaker. I'm just pushing it. Um, but, but you know, I hope that I hope that you'll continue to keep writing, and you know, that we can feature something from the two of you uh, again soon. So thanks for thanks for chatting with us.
6: Thank you. Thank
1: you for having
3: us. For more information on Teresa and Will, you can visit their websites at teresalots.com and willbuck.com. Looking for a little more this holiday season? Well, we've got loads of gifts and goodies for you when you become a Patreon subscriber. Visit www.patreon.com slash bite-sized broadway and become a member today for extended interviews, exciting backstage access, and plenty of other wonderful perks. Believe it, we're halfway through our first season of Bite Size Broadway. It's been an incredible adventure. And this holiday season, we're thankful for each and every single one of our listeners. We want to hear from you. Check out the link in the episode description to take our listener survey and let us know what you love about the show and what changes you'd like to see. We'll be taking a short mid-season break, but don't worry. We'll be right back on January 18th with an exciting new episode. Don't go away. More Bite Size Broadway right after this. Hey, creative professionals and business owners. Looking to up your content game? Need a little boost to help complete your latest creative project? Have a great idea but no idea how to make it happen? Let Evan Feist Coaching and Consulting and his over 15 years of experience in media and extensive network work for you.
6: Head to www.evanfeist.com today for a free consultation.
3: Next time on Bite Size Broadway. It's the eighth century in the courts of the Vatican judiciary. Faithful attendant to the Pope, Bastiano di Bologna, has been summoned to stand trial on several counts, including the attempted murder of His Holiness. And
2: I screamed. Ah! And then an it screamed. Ah!
3: And His Holiness screamed. Ah! Bastiano admits having sneaked into the holy bedchambers, but insists that his objective was not to commit a crime. Bastiano woefully recounts how earlier that day, he witnessed something so shocking, so devastatingly unsettling, he had no choice but to verify his nightmarish vision, whatever the cost.
2: Could the head of God's hegemony resemble an anemone?
0: She bristled like a papal
5: porcupine. I see.
3: Max Crum, Ryan Knowles, Jay Perinata, Kenny M. Green, Michael McCassie, and Michael Perry Jr. star in Aaron Jensen's The Trial of Bastiano di Bologna, opening January 18th only on Bite-Size Broadway. And that's it for this episode of Bite-Size Broadway. If you haven't subscribed on your favorite podcasting platform, well, what are you waiting for? Subscribe today and never miss an episode. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a brief review. A huge thank you goes out to our upper-level Patreon subscribers, Dakota Cahill and Judith Manicharian. If you'd like to support us on Patreon and get exclusive access to exciting perks, head to www.patreon.com slash bitesizebroadway or click the link in the episode description. Until next time, friends, we hope you have a safe and healthy holiday season, and we'll see you in the new year. I'm Jonathan Lynch, and this is Bite Size Broadway. Bite Size Broadway is an IndieWorks Theater production,
2: created by Jonathan Lynch. Executive producers Christopher Michaels and Jeremy Terry. Produced by Jonathan Lynch and Andrew. Files. Light-sized Broadway's theme and finale were composed and performed by Michael Parit Jr. For more information on this and other IndieWorks programming, please visit www.indieworkstheater.com. Like and follow us on social media at IndieWorks Co. Stand by main curtain.